Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses has been giving his goodbye speech to the nation of Israel just before they begin their journey of conquering the Promised Land. God reminds them through Moses that they were to love God supremely and to obey His Word once they were in the land of promise. Last we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 25 that God reminded the people to treat everyone fairly and with respect. Now we join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 1. Remember the theme of Deuteronomy is loving God supremely. We've been studying that all throughout kind of as our central thing we're trying to learn. But do you remember way back at the beginning when I said that this was a series of final addresses by Moses? Well, this chapter 26, it marks the end of the first of those addresses. So this is just one speech that Moses has been giving. The rest of the speeches will be much shorter. That's why Deuteronomy doesn't have 1,800 chapters. Moses, if you remember, he started the speech off by reminding Israel of how good God had been by bringing them from Egypt to this place on the edge of the promised land. He had charged Israel. He says, now you love God back supremely in return for all he's done for you. And so how would Israel do that? Well, he explained by obeying God's commands. And then Moses has gone on for many chapters to give the rest of God's commands so that they'll know what to do when they enter the promised land. And so tonight we're going to wrap up those commands and close out this first speech. So Deuteronomy 26 verse 1. Moses says, and it shall be when you are come in unto the land which the Lord your God gives you for inheritance and possess it and dwell therein, that you shall take the first of all the fruit of the earth, which you shall bring of your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket. And you shall go into the place which the Lord your God shall choose to place his name there. And you shall go unto the priest that shall be in those days and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord your God that I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. So here we see the law of the first year tithe. This would be something that would be unique to Israel since they they hadn't been able to have crops as they've been wandering around in the wilderness. And so here he says in that first year when you enter the land, after you've been there for a year, you need to bring a special offering to the Lord. He says, it shall be when you are come in unto the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance and you finally possess it and you dwell therein. When you, after all the Canaanites are defeated and everyone's settled down, then you shall take of the first of all the fruit of the earth. So that very first harvest that you do, you start to reap it. He says, you're going to take of that, which you shall bring of the land that the Lord your God gives to you. And you're going to put it in a basket and you're going to go into the place the Lord God shall choose to place his name there. And that, of course, we've been studying throughout the Old Testament. That's a reference to the tabernacle because that's where God's presence will be. That's where Israel will meet with God is at the tabernacle. And that would travel around. And so he says, wherever that's at at the time, you're going to take this first of all the fruit of the earth. The word there first, it means that which is set aside for God or a tent. You're going to take a tenth of it, that which is set aside for God, from your crop harvests, from that first harvest, and you're going to put it in a basket and bring it unto the tabernacle. And when you get there, you bring it as a testimony to the priest. It says, and you shall go unto the priest that shall be in those days, whoever's in charge, and he shall say unto him, I profess. I love that because it means I have, I have something to report. That's what the word profess means. I have a report to bring in, sir. And what's the report? I profess this day unto the Lord your God that I am come unto the country which he swears the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. In other words, when you would come, you wouldn't just drop your offering off. You would come and you have to have to say to the priest, you would say to him, I'm here to testify that God kept his promise. 
Isn't that a cool thought? They would be coming all that way there, not just to bring something, but to say, I'm here to testify that God has kept his promise. Let me ask you something. Could you imagine if we treated every offering that way? Before you drop the money in there, or the usher comes up to your aisle and you say, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, usher. I'm going to put this envelope in here. I'm going to put this check in here, but I need you to know something. I'm here to testify that God has kept his promise to supply all my needs. That'd be different, wouldn't it? But that's how it should be, in a sense, in our hearts, right? Like, it should never be just something we do. I mean, nothing that's ritualistic here that we do, you know, as we say, well, this is something we do regularly. None of it should just be ritualistic. They should always have meaning. It should always have depth to it. We're often taught that our giving is to be an act of worship, and it should be. We're, we're going to get to that part next. But it's first a declaration to others. Teach your children why you put a check or an envelope in the basket or the box in the back. Tell them, you know, why you, you mail it in. Whatever you might do, however you give, make it a declaration that God keeps his promises. One of the greatest lessons my dad taught me when he first got saved, my dad wouldn't tithe, he wouldn't give, nothing, because he thought, we can't make it. We can't survive on, on what we have right now. How can I give something to the Lord? And I hear that a lot. And so my pastor, though, he was a good old-fashioned Baptist preacher. So, I mean, if you weren't tithing, you were going to hear about it. And he'd always get on my dad's case. The struggles were there financially still. And so finally, my dad just said, I've tried everything. I'll try, the, I'll try obeying God. And you know, it's funny because Months later, my dad would sit us all down as a family and say, listen, guys, he goes, this is one of the hardest things for me to do every week is to write this check to the church. But I need you to know something. He goes, in all that time, we never did this. We always seemed to struggle. He said, we could never make ends meet. And he goes, but I want you to know that ever since I started doing this, the math doesn't add up. He goes, but somehow the ends are, are being met. And he taught us that. I remember there came a time when, when me and Bev were going through a rough financial time. And you've probably heard me tell the story a thousand times. So if you have, just endure but the church office was in our house. I had a little office in the house. And so the stuff, we were mobile church. And so all the stuff, you know, for church was in this big, huge closet area in the office. Now the tithe box was in there and stuff. Sometimes I would just do that during the week. You know, I'd get paid, I'd write the check and I'd just put it in the box. And so the time was coming to write the check. And Bev at the time, she was doing our finances. And so she said to me, she said, well, what do we do? We, we can either pay, I think it was the power bill or we can tithe. And I said to her, I said, just, I said, just make a note of it. I said, we'll pay the Lord back. I said, just go pay the power bill. And when she came in, tears in her eyes like an hour later. And she goes, well, we can't do this. We have to obey the Lord. And I knew she was right. I was so convicted. I was like, you're right. I said, tear that check up, write another one, put it in the tithe boxes, just get it over with, you know, just do it. And it's funny because so often we just write our check, we put it in the box. But at that point in time, it became an act of obedience, became an act of a declaration on our part. That Lord, you have always supplied our needs and we're trusting you that you will do so in the future. The way the story goes, we got a check from a friend, didn't even know we were going through problems. They just said, Lord, put us on your heart. And they wrote us a check and it was pretty much close to the same amount so we could pay our power bill. The point is, it is an act of worship, but first it's a declaration to others. Now, once you've testified before the priest, you've made that declaration that God has kept his promise, then he would bring your offering before God so you can worship. And that worship, we're going to see here, it had three phases. It started with confession, moved to praise, and ended with gratitude. So verse 4, it says, And the priest, he shall take the basket out of your hand, and he shall set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Remember, you're making a declaration to the priest. Hey, I want you to know your God was faithful to me. But now he would become personal. Now he'd bring your offering before the altar, and then he would leave it there, and this would now be time for you and God. And you, verse 5, shall speak and say before the Lord your God, Assyrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down into Egypt, and he sojourned there with a few, and he became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians, they evil entreated us, and afflicted us, and laid upon us hard bondage. 
So here we start off as you're going to begin to worship the Lord. He has brought this before the altar so that you can now speak to the Lord and have this personal time with the Lord. And it started with worship through confession of need. He says, a Syrian ready to perish was my father. Who's he referring to? Well, Syria was Abraham's homeland. He wasn't anything special until God made him so. The confession that my father, you know, we're now the nation of Israel, but my forefather, he was just a Syrian. Now there's nothing wrong with Syrians. That's not the point. The point was, there was no special nation back then. There was nothing unique about Abraham in the sense, if you looked, he said, he's just another Syrian. And I think it's important for us to understand that when we come to worship. I'm not a good person. God's not, didn't need me on his team. It's not that God was lonely, you know, and he thought, well, we'll hang out with me. I'll invite him to be a part of my family. He says, my forefather was a Syrian. Not only that, but he was ready to perish. And of course, now that's a reference to Jacob. Remember Jacob and his sons during the famine? They had nowhere to go. They had no food. You know, they go down to Egypt to find food. And what happens? You know, they all have to come down. And you know the whole story of Joseph. And eventually, Joseph says, you tell dad to come on down here and I'll take care of him. They weren't anything special even once they, God set them apart from Syria. The only land Jacob owned at that point in time was the burial plot that Abraham had bought. That was it. The only place they owned in all the land that God promised to them. It's a confession, Lord. There was nothing about us that commended us to you, that made us desirable by you. And while things looked better at first when they came down to Egypt and God cared for them there and made them a great and mighty nation, we know what happened later, right? A Pharaoh rose up who didn't know Joseph, became fearful of the Israelites, thought they'd take over and decided to enslave them. And so he says, you know, the Egyptians, they evil entreated us. They afflicted us. They laid upon us hard bondage. I think it's important whenever we give to the Lord, there must always first be a recognition that I don't deserve what I've earned. It's kind of an American idea. You know, you work hard and you say, I've earned my pay. I think we need to recognize that if we were left to ourselves, we'd have made a mess. We'd have made a mess. And I would ask you tonight, do you believe that? I think one of the most important lessons I learned when I was at Bible college, I think it was Larry Taylor who said it. And he said, on your best day, if left to yourself, you always make the wrong decision. That's an insulting comment, isn't it? But you know, the more I thought about it and, and embraced it, I realized, I'm like, Lord, my ability to reason, my ability to work, my ability to, to make a good decision, Lord, all of that comes from you. Any intellectual ability, any experience I've had in life, Lord, all of that was shaped by you. And, and so that became kind of my confession. It was like, Lord, if left to myself, I'm, even on my very best day, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably do the wrong thing. <laughs> and, and that caused me to start seeing things in a different light. It's very difficult to get prideful about things when when you see things in that light. We should all work hard. We should all be worthy of our paycheck. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the case. But in the end, it's the Lord who gives us the ability to get that paycheck. And it's the Lord who grants us favor to succeed, you know, in our work. And so I'd ask you, do you recognize that when you get your paycheck? Do you recognize the Lord's that he's the one who's really earned the check in the sense that he's the one giving you the capacity to do it. We start off worship in our giving through confession. Now it moves from confession to praise. For in verse seven, he says, and when we cried out, we were in this bad spot. And when we cried out unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and he looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm and with great, King James says terribleness, but it means great awesomeness. I love that the word awesomeness is actually biblical. And with signs and with wonders. It's funny because we see their situation and it's affliction, labor, oppression. But contrasted with that is God's might, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, his great awesomeness, his signs and his wonders. 
first off, they were to praise the Lord because he heard their cry, right? The Lord heard our voice. Aren't you glad that God hears your prayers? I'm super glad God hears my prayers. I need more confidence in the Lord because he's so faithful to answer my prayers. But not only did he hear their prayers, he looked on their affliction, their labor, and their oppression. Do you know that God pays close attention to your troubles? I mean, it says he looked on. It's not that God didn't see it before. It's not that they started crying out and going, Lord, Lord, we need help. We're in trouble. And the Lord goes, oh my goodness, what's been going on for the last 400 years? That's not how the Lord, he knew But the idea of looked upon, it means he began to pay close attention. Do you believe that? He pays close attention to your troubles? Or do you think he turns a blind eye? Don't listen to that lie. Praise the Lord for what's true. He hears your prayers, and he is actively working on your behalf when you pray. And then he did supernatural things to bring them out of that situation. You know, God has done supernatural things in your life. Do you praise him for those things? Don't ever forget. And if you can't remember the miracles that God's done for you, then praise him for the miracles he's done for others. I'm in those moments sometimes. You know, we get tunnel vision and all I can see is the mountain in front of me. And it's in those moments I start to remind myself either from scripture or from, you know, some of you guys. And I'll say, all right, Lord, I praise you for what you did in so-and-so's life. He healed them. Or Lord, I praise you for what you did. You got on that job. Or Lord, praise you, you know, for what I read today in my devotions about how you came through for David or Joseph or someone else. And I tell you, when... When you get in that mode of just praising the Lord and, 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 and telling him how awesome he is and how good he's been, that's worship. It's important that we do that with our giving. We confess, Lord, Lord, this, this check I'm about to write, Lord, the only reason I can even write a check is because you get me a paycheck. And Lord, I praise you for that. I praise you for all the marvelous things you've done in my life you know, to bring me to this place where I can write this check or you know, make this offering. But lastly, they worshiped through gratitude. He says in verse nine, and he brought us into this place, brought us out of that place with a mighty hand, but he brought us into this place and he has given us this land, even a land that flows with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O O Lord, hast given me. And you have set it before the Lord, your God, and you shall set it before the Lord, your God and worship before the Lord, your God after remembering who they were without the Lord and then praising him for how good he'd been to them, it was important for them to say thank you. And it's important for us to do the same. Remembering who we are without the Lord, praising him for how good he's been to me, it's important that I say thank you. And one of the ways I can do that is by giving a portion back to the Lord from what he's given to me. And so that's the point here. And now, Lord, I'm so thankful. Behold, I've brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given to me. And then you set it before the Lord your God and worship before him there. The word worship there, it refers to a physical act, actually. It means to bow, to prostrate yourself before someone in a way of showing honor or respect. It's kind of like, you know, when a man gets on his knee to propose to a woman. When that happens, everyone turns, right? We, I proposed to Beverly in the Cranger's Park, right? The Cranger's, what was it? Is it a park? Whatever it's called. Anyway, we were there and I got down on my knee and you know, I'm proposed to her and everything. And, you know, I think there was someone sitting in the seated area in the park, you know, they're all around there, you know, and you could see they were kind of poking over as I was, you know, proposing to her. The idea is it's momentous. It's something important because that man is declaring to that woman that there's no one else in the world they want to spend their life with because there's no one else in the world who's you, Right? I realize that just the physical act of kneeling or raising our hands or bowing down is meaningless if our hearts are not engaged. I get that. 
there is something to be said for a physical act of bowing before the Lord. Don't make your giving or really any act of worship a cold ritual. Truly worship the Lord through confession, through praise, and through gratitude to him. And sometimes that might mean getting on your knees, saying, Lord, I give you honor. I give you the respect that you're due. I want all that attention to go to you right now, how special you are. Now, it doesn't stop there, though, which I think is interesting. Normally, we think, okay, he's done, right? He's worshiped the Lord, brought us gift, worshiped the Lord, but it doesn't stop there. The very last step was celebrating God's goodness with others. Look at verse 11. It says in verse 11, and, showing there's more, and you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given unto you and unto your house. You, and then invite the Levite and the stranger that's among you. Find a bunch of strange people and invite them over. The idea here to rejoice, verse 11, you shall rejoice, it means to make merry, to throw a feast. And they needed to invite whatever Levite was assigned to their area to teach them the scriptures, to teach them God's law, and then any foreigners who lived nearby. Now, why would they invite the Levite and the foreigner? Well, because those folks would never have their own celebration because they couldn't own land. They would never be able to do this. The Levite couldn't own land, couldn't till it in the sense they were supposed to be provided for by the Lord. They had land that was assigned to them, but they weren't supposed to work it. Their work was supposed to be teaching the people God's law or serving and helping at the tabernacle. At the same token, a foreigner couldn't own land because all the land was assigned to Jewish families. So if you were a foreigner there, you might rent a piece of land, but it would never be yours. So you would never be able to come before the tabernacle and do what this guy just did. So he says, they'll never be able to experience this, so you invite them when you do it so they can celebrate with you. In other words, celebrate God's blessings by sharing with those who don't have those blessings right now. Listen, generosity and hospitality are characteristics of a grateful people. They're characteristics of a grateful people. They're characteristics of godly people. And if either of those, generosity or hospitality, aren't a part of your life, then ask the Lord what needs to change. When I met Beverly, she couldn't hold on to her money. I mean, if you were out and you didn't have money, you know, they were going to Taco Bell, she'd pay for you. And it's not like she was just rolling in money or whatever, you know. She just was so generous. I grew up in a family. First off, I had to share all my stuff with six other siblings. So I learned how to fight for what I had. And and secondly, things were really, really tight. And so I grew up not being a generous person. Not that my family wasn't, it just I wasn't. We were usually the ones in need. And so when the pastor would come over, you know, on Thanksgiving, he'd bring a turkey, he'd bring a bunch of stuff that he'd say, hey, the church just wanted to bless you. It was, it was always special, but I never was in the position where I thought I could be generous to someone else. And so when we got married, Bev's wanting to help everybody out. And, and I'm like, hold on, you know, like our kids would get toys and, and she'd be like, hey, have you thought about maybe giving your toys to someone who doesn't have any? I'd be like, we paid good money for those toys. That was me. I'm, no, I'm just confession time. I learned generosity from her that, Will, this, this world is way bigger than you. And there are people, always people out there who've got it way worse than you or way tighter. Than, you know, finances are way tighter than you might have it. And she taught me what it, what it meant to be a Christian, to be generous. Generosity and hospitality are characteristics of grateful people and of godly people. So if one of those is not a part of your life or both, then ask the Lord what needs to change. Now, this was just the initial tithe required when Israel settled down. It was a unique thing. They didn't have to do this every year. They had different offerings they had to bring. We've already covered those. But there was also a special offering they needed to bring every three years. And so we see this in verse 12. It says in verse 12, Now when 
you have made an end of tithing all the tithes of your increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and you have given it unto the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, that they may, they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of mine house, and also have given them unto the Levite and unto the stranger, to the fatherless and to the widow. According to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandments, neither have I forgotten them. Now we know that every year that you were to bring a tithe of your harvest, they actually had multiple tithes that, that Israel did. Um, that's why it's, it's very difficult to try. If, if anyone ever tells you the Old Testament giving and New Testament giving are the same, I don't, I'm not saying they're bad. They're just probably not understanding Scripture correctly because the Israelites had multiple tithes. They, they had multiple areas where they gave. Uh, and because they were an agricultural society, it was a lot different. They didn't get a paycheck. So it just, it was a lot different than we might have things today. So every year they were to bring these various ties to the, the tabernacle. And that's how the priest would be supported and, and the Levites. But here it would be a special, every three years it would be a special unique tithe that would not go to the tabernacle or the priests, but it would go to those who were less fortunate, those who were in need, and to the Levites. And so in this third year, it says, when you have made an end of tithing or giving a tenth or setting aside a tenth of all the tithes of your increase, just means your income. So you, when you have made an end, you've finished finally setting aside that tenth of your income of all the tithes of your increase that third year, which is the year of tithing. And then when you have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the followers, and the widow, that they may eat within your gates and be filled to have as much as they want, then you have to come and testify that you've done so before the Lord. So that year, their entire tithe would go to the Levites and to those in need. And when this donation was given, usually with a, a big festive celebration, that's why it talks about everyone eating to their fill, then you had some formal words to declare before the Lord. Verse 13, you would say before the Lord your God, you would have to go to the tabernacle and you'd make this declaration before the Lord. You would say, I have brought always... Oh, I've brought away the hallowed things out of mine house. So hallowed means that something which is dedicated to God. So the idea is as they were taking that harvest that year, they would, every time they would take it in, they would set aside 10%. That's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. When the time came and the harvest was done, you would take that 10% and then you would give it to the Levite and to those who were in need, usually in some type of big festival celebration. And then you'd go before the Lord and say, Lord, everything I set aside as the harvest was coming in, we set aside that 10%. He says, every bit of it, I gave it to you. He says, I've set aside, brought away the hollow things out of my house and I have given them unto the Levite and all those in need, just like you commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, neither have I forgotten them. What a powerful statement to make. I mean, that you would come and make this before the Lord. Lord, I'm not doing this out of ritual. I'm not doing this at the last minute to appease you. I have planned this from the beginning in obedience and out of love for you. That's a different way to approach giving, isn't it? Different way to approach any act of obedience or any act of worship before the Lord. But I think it teaches us a very important lesson. True obedience happens long before the moment that requires it. True obedience happens long before the moment that requires it. My old pastor, he said, my very first pastor, um, he said, a quality decision is one that negates the need for any further decisions. Make quality decisions in your life. And that always stuck with me. Because I thought the idea is if I, I'm making this choice now, I don't have to make a choice down the road, right? I'm choosing right now to do this. And so then when the moment comes, when the, it's harder, you say the choice is already made. This is what I'm going to do. And then you follow through. That's what this declaration is here. Lord, 
I made a commitment to obey you the minute my harvest started coming in. And Lord, I have now followed through with that commitment. The Apostle John wrote in the book of 1 John chapter 5, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. When we love God and put Him as the number one priority of our lives, obedience will come naturally. To love what God loves and hate what He hates is to be in close fellowship with Him. We must never forget the promises of God and to settle our obedience to Him in every situation. Not doing so will only lead to compromise. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.